What's that right there? Oh, that's called a uh, swastika. I like how the lines just go straight and then up and then down and then straight and then up and then down. It's beautiful. My birthday's coming up in a week, so can you get me one? A swastika? Yeah. I, I don't know, Greg. I'll have to think about that. They should start selling them in every gift shop in New York City. Yeah, I don't think Jews would like that. Get a life, Jews. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Sick and Wrong. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. One of your hosts, E. Simon. Guten Tag. Ich bin Case Rambo. Kate Rambo. Yeah. I think Caliban has laryngitis. Can cats get laryngitis? I'm not sure. I've been doing my research. It's really weird. Like, so typically, he walks around my apartment all day when he's awake. When he, you know, when he's sleeping, he's an excellent cat. So he's a wonderful animal. But when he's awake, he's a terror. He really does. He, he just sucks. And so anyway, typically he what he does, yeah, he just cries. I mean, they, I remember when, uh, when I got the fucking cat, um, the uh, breeder was like, he's a bit vocal. And I'm like, oh, is that going to go away? She's, Usually it does. It has never gone away. He's the most vocal cat, I think, of any cat I've ever had. It is a sphinx trait as well. Got that very chai. Well, he definitely inherited that one. Um, but anyway... Typically, he's got a very, like, you've heard it when you were here. He's got, like, a very oh, yeah. high-pitched, very annoying yowl. I would say it's a yowl rather than a meow. Well, yeah. now, he kind of sounds like Lindsay Lohan trying to meow. You know, after she's had, like, three bottles of wine and some cocaine. <laughs> <Back> <laughs> she, in the day, Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> a Lindsay Lohan throwback reference. Yeah, no, but when you hear him, he's just like... <laughs> and I'm just like, what is it? I, I, the other night, the other night, I was uh, planning for our upcoming holiday to the Rhineland, and uh, I was planning it. And I'm just like, in, in the background, I hear him like kind of come to the room. He's really quiet. He comes to the room, and I'm just like, I hear. Ah. I was just like, what the fuck is that noise? And it's, I think he's lost his voice. I think he has laryngitis from crying so much that's where it's gone i have no idea I, I don't know how cats can get laryngitis i tried to give him some milk but he wouldn't drink it um i don't i don't know i i tried to shove a throat lozenge down you know into his mouth he wouldn't take it yeah i'm sure you did that <laughs> i'm joking i but i don't know what to do i mean I'd, i i guess maybe should i take him to the vet i would probably give it a few days cats are always that type of creature where you can leave them a few days and then and they'll just go away to the vet. Well, I mean, he's eating, he's playing normal, he's yeah. acting completely normal. He's still annoying, except instead of that like high-pitched yowl, it's more of like this raspy, kind of scratchy meow, horse meow. So, he sounds like something out of a, a Tales from the Crypt episode. It's it's very unnatural. It's it's weird hearing it, and I'm just kind of like, I didn't even know he had laryngitis. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna take your advice. I'm gonna you know you know keep him under observation. And then uh, if it's still going on next, like, Tuesday or Wednesday, he's going to the vet. He's getting oh, checked that's out. A, a cat's favorite place to be, <laughs> the vet. 
Well, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to do. I mean, it's not like I really want that yowl to come back, but this scratchy voice is also alarming. Uh, does it sound like he's um, Tallulah Banker that he's been like chain smoking 120 cigarettes a day for about 50 years? I, th- I think he sounds like Lindsay Lohan after smoking the crack pipe. It's just like this oh. really raspy voice. Maybe he has been hitting the, the cat pipe. Hey, I, I, maybe I've taken him away. I did an intervention about that. He hasn't <laughs> smoked in a long time. Well, I mean, it's um, le- well, crack isn't, but you know, other things you can smoke through pipes are legal. I've, Your brother no smokes idea. a lot of pipe too. <laughs> Where is this I'm, going? Yeah. Um, anyway, so the other day I was planning for, so we, we're, we're, do, we're doing a holiday. This is our first trip as a married couple uh, to uh, the European continent. I'm excited. I am gagging to get back onto the continent. Although we are not going to my favorite place on the continent. Germany is a close second, I guess. Yeah, we're going to go to the Rhinelands. We're going to Western Germany. Uh, there's a reason for it. But I bought tickets to Cologne this week. Um, we're, well, actually, we're flying from London to Frankfurt, then a train to Cologne. It's really expensive to go direct to Cologne. Yeah, um, and it's weird how there's only like two flights on a Saturday. Well, like, sort yourself out, London. Yeah, it was really weird too. Like, I booked a flight from LHR uh, to uh, Dusseldorf because Dusseldorf's right next to, to Cologne, and then it just the flight got canceled by this. Like, th- that's the other thing with Europe. You guys have like all these weird airlines, like Eurowings, Ryanair, EasyJet. It's just these like. Right really weird airlines that I've never even heard of. And, I, and you're saying that Southwest is better. You're yeah, saying Southwest, Southwest with that stupid queuing and boarding system, which makes no rhyme or reason sense, is better than any Southwest of is like 10 times better than fucking Ryanair. Believe me. It's no, that's way, true. Ryanair is the fucking It's a pits, way better easy deal. is good. And, and Southwest doesn't charge you for a bag. There's, there's no, they let you, you know, they check your bag. They're, they're, they're one of the only airlines that doesn't charge you for a check bag these days. Um, but they do have a bizarre queuing system, which I don't understand. Um, I hate it. You know, I think it's just a way for them to incentivize so you pay for a seat selection. It's just lame. But Eurowings, I've never heard of that one. Have you heard of that one? I've never heard of it. It kind of <laughs> sounds like a, like a sanitary towel. Company. Yeah. Like Fly kind of safe with Eurowings. Like a German sanitary napkin. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was weird. I looked at their airline. You can't get through to anyone. It, they, their website looks like it was designed by a seventh grader. It was like, like <laughs> a kid in junior high is their project. It was just, it's ridiculous. And they just canceled the uh, flight, canceled all the flights that day. So oh, wow. now, yeah, now we're flying into Frankfurt, which well, what do they know that city. we don't about what's happening no on that day in Germany? I was well. They, I bought the ticket through uh, Expedia, and then when I go and uh, look at my email, it's like, oh no, they decided to cancel that leg of the journey. And I was just like, what? And so I call Expedia. They're like, you're gonna have to call call the airline. Can't get through the airline because uh, I was gonna, you know, go on full Jew screen on them. Um, but uh, yeah, I just kind of was like, well, fuck it. So now we're flying into uh, good old British Airways uh, into uh, Frankfurt. Um, and then going to Cologne, which should be an interesting city. And then um, a couple of days in Cologne, uh, then uh, heading to uh, take a train to Eindhoven, which is in the Netherlands. That's where I get tattooed um, for a couple of days. You're going to probably be quite bored hanging out in Eindhoven. There's nothing to do there. I will. Yeah. What, you, what do you mean there's nothing to do? I'm going to be smoking weed and drinking beers while you're in, in pain 
I'm going to be treating myself to some fries and mayonnaise and drinking beers. Can you still get weed if you're a non-resident? Yeah, you yeah, can. You can. Yeah. I had a buddy just go recently, and he was and he was hooked up fine. When I was there, like uh, it was 2018, I had no problem, but that was a few years ago. Um, but yeah, I haven't been tattooed since before the pandemic. So this is like, it's going to be kind of weird. You're going you're gonna to have to help me uh, shave my taint. No. Yeah, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to hold my legs up and you just get down there. It's a, hard, I, it's a hard to reach area. I didn't agree to anything like that in, um, in any vow I made. But you didn't see the fine print. There was this <laughs> in the very tiny print. And so you got to read the, the uh, you know, user license agreement. Um, but there's a part of it where it said you need to uh, shave your man's taint when he's getting tattooed. We will go to court like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard over this. I will see you in court, D. Simon. I'll hold my balls. You just get in there and just shave it. That's the only area. Why are you getting that, your taint tattooed? It's the only area that's left. Um, so I need to get that. Need to get that. Tattooed. You want a black taint? Well, I'm not going to get a face tattoo. What would you rather have, my taint tattooed or my face? Some face tattoos are amazing. Like you Mike Tyson's. Totally yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm going to go get tattooed there. Then we're going to go to Amsterdam and then fly back to England. Reluctantly then, going to Amsterdam, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Amsterdam to, to Manchester is it's one of the only places you can get a cheap flight straight to Manchester. It's like $70. Yeah. It's not that expensive. So we're going to fly into Manchester and then, uh, get, then I'll be in Northern England for a few weeks planning a possible meetup. In Glasgow, people, the you know, details to be determined, but we're thinking this is going to be around what, like July or August? Yeah, and for Glasgow summer, we're gonna yeah. get some pe- gonna get some peeves in. I haven't been to uh, God, I haven't been to Glasgow since the last fan meetup, and that was I got so they got me so drunk I missed my flight to London the next day. That's my worst fear, and I don't need to ever hear about that. Thank you. <laughs> well, it was an insane night. So anyway, possibly that possibly going to repeat that evening um, in uh, this summer in Glasgow. But yeah, this is going to be interesting. It'll be our first trip to the continent as a married couple, and it inspired this week's topic, the sex lives of Nazi leaders. Um. So anyway, we're going to get to that in one second. Uh, people, this is episode 840 here, Second Wrong. Uh, before we, we start talking about Nazis, here's a word about our Patreon page, uh, courtesy of Stuart, um, who is not a Nazi, at least to my knowledge. Um, but Stuart called in and, uh, and with, with this Patreon promo that he made, and I took the liberty of adding a Coxbar music bed. Hi, guys. Stuart here. I'm just calling in to get this off my chest. All you listeners out there, why are you not signing up for the Patreon? Seriously, these two fine people do the show next to having a regular job, and you don't feel the need to support them. So sign up to the Patreon today. You're not helping a Jew through college, but through his midlife crisis. And Kate is packing her shit to live in California. Both of these things are not cheap. They give so much and ask for so little. So do it now and keep the show going. D and Kate, you're doing a great job. Love you guys. Stuart out. So, Kate Rambo, tell me about the the wives and mistresses of all these Nazi leaders. I've been going for a little, you know, like how a couple of times a year you'll go for a total Nazi phase where you're like, I'm just going to spend 12 hours a day watching Nazi documentaries. 
Usually for like two weeks of, of uh, every year. I, I watch a lot of then. Nazi movies, um, you know, Boy in the Striped Pajamas, that kind of thing. I want to watch The Painted Bird. I'm going to watch that tonight, actually. Oh, I want to see The Painted Bird, too. But that's not really like... I've just been watching full-on documentaries. Like, I just want to see oh, like an actual Yeah, documentary. So, and then I was thinking about... You never really hear much about, like, what happened to the wives of the Nazi leaders. So we've got, like, Hitler, Himmler, Heydrich. They're some of the most despised, evil men. Heydrich's quite sexy. I'm going to throw that out there. They're like the Nazi A-list. <laughs> they are the Nazi A-list. Yeah. There's a real, like, the women who are devoted to them are totally in a real, I can fix him fashion. <laughs> women were lo- women loved and adored these men, but none were more devoted than the Nazi wives. Women who would go to their graves defending the sick ideology of the Nazi party. Because obviously behind every great man is an even greater woman. Very true. Nazi wives lived very comfortable lives. That's a a very obvious Jim Morrison rhyme for you there. It's despite the obvious problems that come with being married to a military leader, not all the leaders even followed along with their own Nazi ideology. Whilst preaching the good Aryan values, they would all have affairs. There's fruple relationships. They would claim children were theirs when they weren't. They would mistreat their wives and their families. Yeah, Nazis being (laughs) arseholes. Yeah, big surprise there. Yeah. We're going to start with the head honcho, a man who needs no introduction, Adolf Hitler. But we're not going to be focusing on his weird relationship with the infatuated party girl, Eva, who would die by his side. I, I always say that wrong. Eva, Eva. Eva. Eva, Eva, tomato, tomato. Also, please check all your conspiracy theories about if they survived at the door, at the bunker door. Because they did die in a Berlin bunker at War's End on April the 30th, 1945 together. Not to get too much into it, because that's not the point of this uh, intro topic, but they had a weird relationship. They really did. Yeah, they did. fucking did. Hitler refused to have a public relationship with her. He didn't want, only only like his inner circle knew about his relationship with Ava. He thought a public relationship would have been a disaster for his image. This is almost like a Trumpian type thing. Many mm-hmm. women find me appealing because I'm unmarried. It's the same thing with a film actor. This is what Hitler said. When he marries, he loses a certain something among the women who worship him, and they no longer idolize him quite as much anymore. Yeah, Elvis. Uh, I mean, he's Don't got a bit Priscilla of a point. Elvis. So, uh, so Braun was hidden away from view so that only a few people in Hitler's inner circle knew about the relationship. And in fact, this is my favorite thing. Um, when they were together, he treated her in kind of a weird fashion, as if like she was his mistress. So when guests came to like uh, you know the Bavarian mountain retreat, Braun was forced to hide, usually. And when she occasionally was allowed to emerge in front of the guest, he would treat her like a like a prostitute or a mistress, and in plain view, pass her envelopes filled with money. I don't think she has any problem with that. I, mean, <laughs> no, I don't she think quite so. Enjoys it. I don't think so either. But I just find it really funny that he's being so obvious, and everyone knew about this. Probably, I'm sure so- word got around, but it's just like. Ah, my mistress is here. Um, let me give you this uh, this payment, yeah? Okay. <laughs> That's your impression of Hitler. <laughs> Everything's fine, yeah? Here. Yeah. <laughs> Margareta Berta Brown, who, uh, Brown, I'm going to say all these names wrong, who went by the name nickname Gretel. She was the youngest of the Brown sisters, and she became famous one day for being the sister-in-law of Hitler. 
born the 31st of August, 1915. She dropped out of high school at 16. And with Ava, she went to go work for the Nazi party as a clerk in the photography company of Heinrich Hoffmann, who was the official photographer of the Nazi party. You're going to meet Hitler within days working at this place. Oh, yeah, for sure. She actually loved photography and she went on to study photography at the Bavarian State School of Photography in 1943. Hitler gifted the Pretty Sisters with a free bedroom apartment in Munich in 1935, obviously an apartment that has been stolen from a family that presumably died in the Holocaust. And then the next year, he gifted them a villa in Bogenhausen. At Hitler's party villa, the Berghof, where he would pretend that Ava was his mistress with envelopes of cash. This was his <laughs> retreat in the Bavarian Alps, where he would live, laugh, and love with the other Nazi leaders. Both sisters would be there, knocking back the champagne, smoking, adjusting their stockings in front of the SS elite, and just like generally being cock-teasing party girls. Something that I wouldn't know anything about. Whatever happened to the Berghof? Is it still there? It, a lot of it has been demolished. I will get more. I talk about the Eagle's Nest soon. So I'll tell you. You can still go to the Eagle's Nest. It's a restaurant. Oh, wow. That's weird. I want to go know, That's going to be a bucket list item. I want to eat at Fuck the Eagle's yeah. Nest. At the Eagle's Nest, I do. It was presumably at one of these parties that they were having, having been introduced by Hitler, that Gretel met a liaison officer of Hitler's car, a high-ranking SS Gruppenführer Hermann Fagelein. And they got married on June the 3rd, 1944, three days before the D-Day landings. And Hitler, Himmler, and the very dashing Martin Bormann were all part of the wedding party. You know, I love that uh, surname, Fagelein. It kind of reminds me of a Yiddish word. What's the Yiddish word? Fagala. Oh, Fagala. <laughs> You've taught me that one before. I know. It's People just, it's really funny that, uh, I wonder if that word came from this guy's name. Maybe. Their wedding reception at the Burkhoff and at the Eagle's Nest, which I just said, uh, it was like they built the Eagle's Nest for basically having parties in. It was an inn. They would go there, hang out. It's still there. We can go there and have some schnitzel. What, what city is it in? It's like in the Bavarian Alps. Oh, in the Alps. Okay. Yeah. This might have been a marriage of convenience for Hitler. He now had a formal link to Ava, and he could invite her to every event, including cozy stays at the bunker. Hermann Fagelin, he was a playboy. Hitler's secretary said that he was actually a big hit with the ladies. I've looked at pictures of this man. I don't get it. But he was funny and charming. He was a real catch. Hermann Fagelin was the daring Cavalryman type. He had a very large nose and he wore the knight's cross with oak leaves and swords. No wonder he used to have women flocking around him. In addition, he had a refreshing, sometimes very dry wit, and he never minced his words. You felt he was naturally frank and honest person. That's what one of Hitler's secretaries said about him. He kind of looks a bit like Ryan Gosling. A younger Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I was looking at his picture. I'm like, he kind of looks a, a bit like Ryan Gosling. So I can understand why, you know, they they think he was, uh, you know, attractive. And funny gets the fanny. I always yeah. say it. If he's got this he's dry, personable. sarcastic wit yeah. that they all like. So Albert Speer, architect of the Nazi party, he hated him, saying that he was one of the most <laughs> disgusting people in Hitler's circle. Disgusting. He hates Herman. Herman has been quoted as saying the only things that matter in life were his career and a life full of fun. <laughs> Three days after the wedding, Hitler and the crew, 
They have to go back to Nazi HQ in Berlin, never to leave it alive. He retreated to his bunker in January of 45. Gretel and all were expected to die by his side. But Gretel had left the bunker because she was pregnant and she returned to the Berghof, uh, Berghof to have their baby on April the 27th, 1945. She received word that her husband had gone missing from the Fiora bunker and been found in the apartment of his mistress. <laughs> and then they had both been arrested. Herman stated that he didn't want to join a suicide pact. And when found, him and his mistress were both in civilian clothing. Hitler was pissed. It was said he ranted and raved until he was red-faced. But Ava liked Herman. Obviously, her sister was just weeks away from giving birth. And Hitler did say maybe he would just strip him of all his rank and release him to the waiting Soviet troops. But eventually, it was decided that he'd be court-martialed, sentenced to death, and he was taken to the Garden of the Reich Chanc Chancellery on April the 28th and just shot like a dog. Bye-bye, <laughs> Yeah, very ignominious death. I think one of the reasons why Hitler was so upset about it is that he felt he was a traitor because he was aligning himself with Himmler. And at this point, I think Himmler was, realized that the Nazis were going to lose the war and was trying to probably save his own ass by dealing with the West. Yeah. And so anyway, um, I, read, I read something that uh, there's a journalist named James O'Donnell who provides one account, because there's several accounts of Fegelein's uh, court-martial and his death. Um, so Wilhelm Monke, who was yeah, a high-ranking SS, uh, Waffen-SS officer, presided over the court-martial for, uh, for um, Fegelein's desertion. And he told O'Donnell that Hitler ordered him to set up a tribunal. So Monkey arranged for this court-martial panel, which consisted of uh, all high-ranking generals in, uh, in the SS. Um, and Fegelein showed up wasted, like completely yeah. wasted, refused to accept that he had an answer to Hitler, stated that he was only responsible to answer to Himmler. Um, he was so drunk that he was crying and vomiting at the same time. He was unable to stand up. And then he just started urinating on the floor in front of the tribunal. It's like if you think of the, a, a one way to be, uh, you know, to prove you're unfit to, for a trial, they start pissing on the floor and crying and vomiting. Um, so Monkey was in a quandary here because uh, German military and civilian law required defendants to be of sound mind to understand the charges against them. And so he knew that Fegelin, you know, was guilty of flagrant desertion. Of but uh, the judges were like, well, he's not in any condition to stand trial. So he just closed down the proceedings and just handed him over to uh, General Rottenhuber's security squad. And then we all know what happened next. <laughs> They're just Shot like, like a dog. <laughs> They're just like, we don't care if you're wasted and you can't understand the charges. And they just shoot him like a dog. Hitler and Ava, they committed suicide. Two days later, on the 5th of May, 1945, Gretel gave birth to her daughter, whom she named Ava, after her sister, at um, Zellamsee in Austria. She managed to hide the photograph albums, amateur films, letters, jewelry, and other mementos in the grounds of her former husband's castle, uh, Schloss Fischeron, which is still there. You can go visit it. And she just tried to forget her Nazi past. She eventually remarried but the couple didn't have any children. So their child, Hitler's niece, uh, Ava Fagelin, she committed suicide on the 28th of June, 1971. Not because she was like um, so distressed at yeah, being Hitler's remorse. niece. 
it was more because she's a dramatic little bitch because her fiance was killed in an automobile accident and um, driving her sports car. And she she was just like, I can't do she's this. She's a romantic. Very romantic. She was 26, that. so like, get yeah. over it, love. Plenty of other German fish in the sea. Towards the end of her life, Gretel was stricken with Alzheimer's and she had completely forgotten her Nazi past by the time she died on October the 10th, 1987, at the age of 72. The so we were just of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about him. We're going to talk about Hitler's best butt buddy next. A man I hate, the insufferable arse licker, Heinrich Himmler. Unlike the rest of the SS who are meant to represent virulent masculinity, Himmler is actually, I think, the poster boy for the incels. It looks like it. Yeah, he does. He didn't lose his virginity until he was well into his 20s which is like a former co-host of yours, isn't it? <laughs> Both wear glasses. <laughs> yeah, I think Wackily was like, all right, 26 <laughs> or 27, but uh, <laughs> I don't know for sure, all right? <laughs> Sex, intimacy, it scared and terrified him. He claims he was a virgin because he read a book in his teen years, and actually there were a few other Nazi leaders who had read the same book and chose this same lifestyle path. path. That said, instead of pursuing taint and tail, he should channel his energy into more useful pursuits. Basically, he chose virtue out of his abject failure with women. So this is tiny dick incel energy. Well, that's a lot like Wackerly because Wackerly claimed it, <laughs> what, he wanted tiny to be a virgin. No, no, no. I, I, Wackerly also wanted to channel his energy into more useful pursuits, like watching Mystery Science Theater. So he felt like if he was having a girlfriend and had to have sex, He'd be able, you know, he'd have to, it would limit his viewing of his favorite show. I get that. And he had tiny the- dick. <laughs> <laughs> tiny dick energy. <laughs> there was one woman who f- would fall for this loser Libra, just like this one woman who's fallen for Wackily. And this woman was Margareta Bowden. She was born the 9th of September. Um, 1893, meaning she's a Virgo. Virgo should know better. She'd been a nurse on the Western Front during um, WW1, and she no doubt saw some shit. Probably shit that caused long-lasting PTSD and trauma, and enough brain damage that she saw Heinrich Himmler and she thought, oh, I'm going to get with this man. She actually met Himmler on the train when he was on a lecture circuit and they remained in contact, mainly through Instagram, sharing Danzig memes. As one does. I'm sure you know how that goes. Mm-hmm. He obviously had a boner for the hard-headed Marguerite. She was blonde and blue-eyed and she was, more importantly, giving him attention. She was an enigmatic woman, uh, James Wiley, who wrote a book, Nazi Wives, said. She was very closed off. She was defensive and paranoid and ultimately unhappy most of the time. I think she wanted a more ordinary husband than what she got no shit well she was kind of weird looking i mean we'll post pictures she's fucking ugly man she's she's not not weird she's she's fugly but i mean i I wouldn't say i'd say that you know i wouldn't say that uh himmler's a looker either no they both deserved each other heinrich didn't reveal their relationship to his nazi friends or even his parents for some time she was seven years older she was divorced and when his parents did find out they were not happy and they shunned the couple they were like cold to this old nazi slut himmler's dream was to become a farmer they wanted to live off the rhineland and create many an aryan baby they married in july 1928 after marguerite had joined the nazi party and i'm sure it was a very 
anti-Semitic ceremony. But so they both shared like an excessive propensity for efficiency, neatness. Um, they longed for strict domesticity, and they both preferred like a very parsimonious lifestyle. How lame do you think this couple was? I think they were so boring. Well, especially so I compared hate, to the if other... I was like married to like the sexy Martin Barman or the sexy uh, Reintar Heydrich, and I had to go around to their house for a party, I would be bored to tears. Well, don't you think like the other decadent Nazis were like, "Oh, great, here comes fucking Himmler." You know, it's yeah. like stick in the mud, this guy and his ugly wife. Um, so from her uh, from her husband, um, Margaret used to get a consistent diet of anti-Semitism. I mean, Himmler, you know, he designed the first extermination camps. Those are his yes, idea, the final solution. But I was reading at the age of 10, Himmler started to keep a diary. And there's That's entries gay. that show the development of his philosophy and you know, future ideologies. Um, but his diary entries reflect his issues and his thoughts on the Jewish question. He's 10. He's 10. <laughs> And he's thinking about the Jewish question. Event, and, and later on, his journals were just filled with anti-Semitic remarks and uh, records of his discussions about the Jews and how we need to terminate them. It's and like so, Eric and Dylan here. Yeah, but it's just insane. It's like, dude, you're 10 years old. You know, shouldn't you be thinking of like, I don't know, fucking chocolate? Daisies or anything? Yeah, and like George, skipping rope or don't something. Don't chase me. I'm full of chocolate. <laughs> Um, but his wife's anti-Semitism was completely evident in a letter that she wrote to uh, Himmler, uh, dated the 22nd of June, 1928, in which he made disparaging remarks about the co-owner of this, uh, this gynecologist um, of a private clinic in Berlin. This guy's named Bernard uh, Hausschild. Uh, she said, that Hausschild, those Jews are all the same. Rotten. <laughs> Sounds like some of the messages I send you. I was about to say, I was like, God, I hate to read your diary. <laughs> See, it's fine for girls to keep a diary, but men have to keep journals. And if not, then it's gay. Uh, Himmler, weird. who had trouble getting a boner for anyone but Hitler, he managed to stop his wife, losing his virginity on their wedding night and producing their only daughter, Gudrun, on August the 8th, 1929. They also fostered um, Gerhard von Ahad, who was the son of an SS officer who had died before the war. The couple barely saw each other. They barely spent any time together because obviously Himmler was off with his special project of the final solution that he'd been writing about in his diary <laughs> since he was 10. <laughs> they would join for Nazi parties at my favorite, Reinhard Heydrich's house. And um, Marguerite would hold Nazi tea parties at her house every Wednesday for SS officers and their wives. But she was largely disliked by the other Nazi wives. Lena Heydrich, who was beautiful, wife of the dashing Reinhardt, she hated Marguerite so much it was regarded as a violent dislike. And she called Marguerite a narrow-minded, humorless, blonde-haired woman. Ooh. Wow. The Harsh. feeling was entirely mutual, though. They hated each other. <laughs> this kind of makes sense, though, because Reinhardt, before his early death, was actually Hitler's favorite, nicknamed the Butcher of Prague for his zero-tolerance attitude. Hitler said gushingly that he was the man with the iron heart. Himmler was je jealous, and I imagine at home, Marguerite hempecked him with the, if you did more for this final solution, Hitler would love you like he does Hedrick. It's my impression of her. <laughs> Size 50 knickers. That's all there was to her. 
this is Bella from a journalist. She commented in July 1937 when she saw Himmler with his dirty, blonde, insipid, fat wife. And the pleasures of the table are apparently about the pleasures she gets since Himmler keeps her at home. Well, you can see why he kept her at home. Was she a big woman? She didn't seem that large to me. Uh, there's you were looking at probably nicer pictures of her oh. than what I was looking at. Their daughter is very cute, but she's obviously like a cute Nazi. Despite the fact Himmler found it very easy to keep it in his pants, he actually cheated on his lovely sounding wife with his secretary, 26 year old Hedwig Potast, who is oh, nicknamed Bunny. Name. Great nickname. And together they schemed a way to be together. It didn't take long for the nosy Marguerite to find out about the affair, saying, sometimes I cannot believe what I live through, we poor women. She wrote this in her diary, surrounded by lies and betrayal. Well, if the affair didn't upset her, then the two children that Bunny had with Himmler would devastate her when she eventually finds out. Helg uh, was a son born in February of 42 and a daughter, Nanette, born in July of 44. Love children. Yeah. Scandalous. Extra, extra Himmler children. Just what the world needed back then. Yeah. Two more ugly kids. <laughs> Two more fucking ugly kids. Marguerite had chosen to move with her daughter to Bavaria and she separated, but she never divorced from Himmler as divorce of the perfect Aryan family was not part of the Nazi regime. She was in fact still close to him. He loved his daughter and would ring her and see her as often as he could. He took her to every Nazi function and he was proud to show off her blonde hair and blue eyes. In 1941, he even took his daughter to visit the Dachau concentration camp. Gudrun wrote in her diary, God, every fucker was keeping a diary back then. Together, we went to the SS concentration camp at Dachau. We saw everything we could. We saw the gardening work. We saw the pear trees. We saw all the pictures painted by the prisoners. Marvelous. And afterwards, we had a lot to eat. It was very nice. <laughs> I love how she's writing as if this was like a trip to Disneyland. I think it was, though, when they would bring their wives and children to the camps. They all did it. They didn't have to see the full-on horrors. Yeah, they but did they make the, nice the prisoners part. like perform for them, like do musicals? They did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. A trapeze act. <laughs> It's uh, awful. They last saw Himmler in April 1945, duh, which obviously was the same time that Bunny and their children would be the last they would ever see of their nasty Nazi father. With the war's end, Himmler committed suicide, chowed down on some cyanide, a coward's death. Bunny went into hiding, but in July of 45, she was arrested by members of the US Army and she was interrogated. It was around this time that Marguerite learned of her children with Himmler. And she she actually reached out to Bunny asking if she was okay, hun. And Bunny told her basically to fuck off. She didn't want to have anything to do with her. She Ooh. kept in con contact with Himmler's family and friends before she remarried in the 50s. Helga suffered with uh, bad health throughout his life. I said that as the female then. Helg. I do apologize, Helg. He so suffered a weird with bad name health. for a guy. Yeah, all these names like you yeah. never meet a Helg now. I mean, maybe it's a real popular name in German. In Germany, I, I don't know. Helg, he had bad health throughout his whole life. He remained with his mother. Nanette became a doctor. Bunny remained loyal to Himmler until her death at the age of eighty-two on the twenty-second of September, nineteen ninety-four. Nanette died in the year two thousand, and Helg he outlived them all. He died in two thousand five with his bad fucking health. Ah, not long ago. 
the real Mrs. Himmler, Marguerite, and um, their daughter, uh, Gudrun, they were also arrested. And during her internment, uh, Margaret was in, uh, Marguerite was interrogated, but it became clear that she was not informed of the official business of her husband. And she was described as having a small town mentality, which persisted throughout her questioning. But what does that mean? Does it translate into mentally retarded? I think it does. I think that's what they're, they're trying to be nice about her. It's like the uh, PC, way saying, uh, PC way of saying uh, mentally retarded. A small town mentality. <laughs> a very narrow worldview. She was also questioned for the Nuremberg trials, but either she's an amazing liar or she really didn't know anything about what her Olympic husband was getting up to. And her and her daughter were released. During the denazification of Germany following the war, she was classified following the fight as a category three offender. And she went on to fight these claims in court, saying that she was just a Nazi wife. She didn't take part in the Holocaust. On 15th of January, 1953, at the final hearing against her in Munich, she was classified as a beneficiary of the Nazi regime and thus placed in category two. So it made out even worse for her. And she was sentenced to 30 days special uh, punitive work. She also lost her pension rights and the right to vote, which she should have shouldn't have in the first place. Well, yeah, that's a, you'd think the pension would be the first thing to go, but obviously she was a beneficiary of the Nazi regime. Himmler was like, I don't know, he's like the third or probably the third ranking like Nazi. She's living in, in a castle. <laughs> yeah, she's living in a fucking castle. So yeah, she's a beneficiary, and so is the 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 you know the concentration camp loving daughter. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like pretty Daddy. obvious. I can't believe they even had a pension. You'd think that would be the first thing that they would kill. Yeah, of course it would be. Speaking of it, uh, the daughter, the, the concentration camp loving daughter, Gudrun went on to become a Nazi just like her daddy. In fact, she was described as a flamboyant Nazi princess. She married the far right propagandist and author Wolf Dieter Bowitz. They had two children together. She had been, she has been affiliated with the organization uh, Stille Hilfe, which has formed to aid former SS members like Klaus Barbie, the butcher of Lyon. I've actually always wanted to go and stay at his hotel in Lyon. Um, this is where yeah, he would torture and interrogate that. his victims. Yeah, you can still see it. He was more a serial killer than a real Nazi member. Yeah, no, that guy's a psychopath. Completely. We should do an episode about him one day. Yeah, yeah. Gudrun Bowitz, she died on the 24th of May, 2018, not too long ago, at her home near Munich at the age of 88. Marguerite Himmler, she died on the 25th of August, 1967. Uh, their adopted son, Gerhard, he never took on the Himmler name, and he died in a nursing home in two, uh, 2011. Do you think Gudrun like, kept all her little Nazi trinkets and memorabilia, had like a display cabinet? With like, you know, like she, instead of Hamel figurines, it was just like all these little, little Nazi swastikas. I think she would gush to tell people that her daddy was Himmler. <laughs> just see, she's the really very racist, anti-Semitic grandmother. You know, totally, some people had them. Yeah, some people <laughs> she's like the OG yeah. um, racist, <laughs> anti-Semitic grandmother. Let me tell you about my father. <laughs> It isn't going to be the, the Govels next. It's not going to be Joseph. I think they kind of deserve their own like overkill or show one day because it's madness what happened with them. It's going to be the very sexy Martin and the very beautiful Gerda Barman. 
You know, I still don't get it. I don't understand why you find Martin Berman so sexy. I mean, I looked him up. I looked up a picture, multiple pictures, and I'm, I'm not even shitting you. He looks like Curly from the Three Stooges. I'm yeah. of a different generation to you, so the Three Stooges have, I have no memory bank with me, okay? I'm, I wasn't around when black and white telly was still shown. On Neither was I, but you know that they're in pop culture. Go take a, do, go do a Google image search. Mate, I'm British. Three Stooges. Three Stooges not a thing over here, all right? It was but not you, a you thing. obviously know what I'm referencing. So do, I do a search and he doesn't for look it. like Curly. He looks just like Curly. He's, he, he might does. have a little more hair, but he looks just like Curly. Now his son, you know, his son, uh, MBJ, Four. you know, Martin Borman Jr., he looks, he kind of looks like Josh Brolin, but his dad looks like fucking Curly. So I don't get it. You know, teach their own beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So maybe you find Curly very attractive. I think Mo you know, is much sexier. You know what I find with the Nazis is that they're either complete ugly cunts like Himmler, or they're just like so dashing in a James Bond type way that they could nearly be. I don't know, in a, an American film. Like, Quentin Tarantino could, like, like Reinhardt put, them is. put them in a film. You know, yeah, like Heydrich. Yeah, Borges. yeah, he definitely. Otto Skorzeny. Martin Foreman. That's what I'm going to call him. And Martin Foreman, he wielded huge power in the ranks. And he was a Hitler's personal secretary, which is a male secretary, which seems kind of gay to me. Is that a thing? I mean, Back I then, it was a thing. I mean, the Matsu yeah. party was such a boys' club. I mean, did he, was he regarded as, as a secretary or was he just like Hitler's right-hand man? No, he was his secretary. That was his official title? Yeah, maybe it was a thing then. Male secretary, which would be also a great name for an indie band. He controlled access to the Fuhrer and he was known for his brutality, his coarseness, his anti-Semitism. It all sounds very dreamy. Another reason I like Martin, he was Himmler's arch rival because of the power and the control that he held over Adolf. Martin was bad and dangerous to know, but on the 17th of June, uh, 1900, a male Gemini, which is the absolute worst. He'd served time in World War I, but he never saw action. And by 1922, after his farm had suffered under the strict hyperinflation that was placed on the, the Weimar Republic, he became a card-carrying member of the Freikorps, which is basically a dire army that patrolled farmlands to stop people pillaging. In March of 1924, Martin and his buddy, Rudolf Hoss, who also went on to join the Nazi party, were charged in the murder of schoolteacher Wolfer Kato. Whispers in the Freikorps was that him and another member had dobbed them into the French occupation mm. authorities. They had dragged him from his home in Mecklenburg to a, to a meadow outside of town, beat him, they slit his throat, and then finally just shot him in the head. Foreman only served two years in jail before returning back to his farm and enlisting in the NSDAP, a.k.a. the Nazi party in 1927. So, yeah, prison really worked for, for reforming Martin Bormann. <laughs> 1929, he met and married the beautiful 19-year-old Gerda Buch with Hess and Himmler at the wedding party. She was a kindergarten teacher and also an avid member of the Nazi party. She wove her blonde hair into a plait. She, she eschewed cosmetics. She wore traditional Bavarian dress. And although in public, Martin would often publicly humiliate her. He would talk down to her, be a bit of a general bastard. It must have worked because together they had 10 children. Wow. 10 years pregnant. Think of the sound of music, but this is like the real Nazi sound of music. 
Martin Bormann was extremely stern with his children, and in particular his eldest son and his namesake, Martin Adolf. In later life, Martin would say there was no connection or human warmth between him and his father. Or it could be that Gerda was the unquestioning Nazi. She was programmed to obey her fuggish husband so thoroughly that she had been brainwashed by Nazi ideology that she never complained about his infidelity. She never complained about this treatment. And even inviting another woman into their marital marital bed, which always ends really, really well. Yeah, as far as uh, Gerda was concerned, um, Barman's succession of brief affairs, which she knew about, she thought they were like the healthy expression of a man's need to reproduce. You know, if you ask me, that's a supportive wife. D, we're not Nazis. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying you could. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot you could learn a lot from Nazis. <laughs> He rose through the ranks. He was working as chief of staff for Rudolf Hess, who was the deputy Führer in 1933. But by the end of the year, the big beast had made himself known to Hitler. And Hitler named him the Reichsleiter, which is a national leader, which was the second highest political rank. Hitler said of Martin, where others need all day. Bormann does it for me in two hours and he never forgets anything. Bormann's reports are so precisely formulated that I only need to say yes or no. With him, I get through a pile of files in 10 minutes for which other men would need hours. A hell of a secretary there. I love that that's what impresses Hitler. He's <laughs> like, I can get through piles of files of Martin. Martin would also oversee the renovations and the constructions of the Nazi party paradise at the Berghof. And soon he not only controlled access to Hitler, but also his personal finances. So he's a financial daddy now. His control over Hitler grew to such a point that if, say, like you, another Nazi fell out with Martin, well, guess who isn't going to see Hitler ever again? It's like Mean Girls. Hitler liked to play mind games as well against all his high-ranking members. So this was a total common occurrence. The clique was always breaking up, babe. I mean, it's kind of crazy how much control that Borman sort of maneuvered himself into. Like, I mean, he definitely, like, schemed and plotted and ended up becoming Hitler's, you know, right-hand man. And so he controlled the flow of information and the access to Hitler, as well as controlling Hitler's personal finances. And so I was reading about this, and I'm thinking, like, so he must have... So he had, obviously, a salary as chancellor and president, but Hitler had additional income, uh, including money raised through uh, royalties on Mein Kampf, which was Worst a pretty you know, best. But I mean, that was like a best-selling novel at the time. You kind of had to buy it. To I buy bet it. you every yeah. German family had a copy of Mein Kampf. Um, and the use of his image on postage stamps. Like he made money on that, which I imagine every postage stamp probably had an image of Hitler. You know, so he, he had some income. And then Bormann also set up the Adolf Hitler Fund of German Trade and Industry, which collected money from like German industrialists on Hitler's behalf. And these funds were supposed to be dispersed to the party leaders, but Bormann just retained all of it for uh, Hitler's personal usage. It's almost like the Trump Foundation. Yeah. You know, in a sense. Um, but Bormann, and this I think is his, uh, his major skill, is he proved to be a master of intricate political infighting. So along with his ability to control access to Hitler, he was able to kind of curtail the power of Goebbels, of Goering, Himmler, uh, you know, Alfred Rosenberg, uh, Speer, and other high-ranking officials. 
many of whom became his like his mortal enemies. Yeah. You know, they're his nemeses. And this ruthless and, uh, you know, continuous infighting for power and inf- in Hitler's, you know, favor uh, characterized the inner workings of the Third Reich. In fact, Hitler inspired it. And we're going to talk about, uh, we were just talking about his, how he liked to have affairs. We're going to talk about his most famous affair. In October of 43, he fell head over heels for a beautiful blonde that he had met at a ball. This was uh, back in the day where people would meet at balls and they didn't just send pictures of their balls over Tinder to each other, which is how your brother meets all his dates. The woman, the very beautiful Manja Behrens, she was a dental assistant, but she had also turned actress. And she appeared in a couple of movies. Martin pursued her with lust, and after a few months, she relented to the handsome oaf. In the words of Amy Winehouse, the guilt will kill you if she don't first. And he felt the need to confess all to Gerda, saying that he was madly in love with Manja. And much to Martin's surprise, Gerda was well. Gerda was so up for the idea. One year, Manja has a child, and the next year, I do, so that you will always have a wife that is mobile. She gushed, gushed to Martin. We'll put all the children together in a house on a lake. Sounds like my wow. idea of fucking hell. Some polygamy polygamous action going on here she even went so far as to suggest that a contract would be drawn up granting the mistress the same rights as the lawful wife Gerda even thought a law should be passed in Germany which would entitle healthy valuable men to have two wives wait was she Mormon were Nazis were there any Mormon Nazis oh that's something we should look into (laughs) I doubt it (laughs) next week's show Mormon Nazi (laughs) Martin, who had had more affairs than hot German sausage dinners at this point in his life, he was overjoyed. Hearing now had two women in the house to satiate his unrestrained libido. But sadly for Martin, this arrangement didn't last for very long because Manja, she hated being in this fruple relationship and she left after only a few months, choosing instead to work 15-hour shifts in an armaments factory instead. And she didn't provide the couple with any of their regime babies. Yeah, she doesn't want to be like the side hoe. She wants to be the boss bitch. Yeah. I understand that completely. I get it too. Martin went into the bunker with Hitler and the other Nazi pricks at war's end. He would remain loyal to the end, kind of. After Hitler topped himself, Martin was named as his successor. And when negotiations with Soviet troops failed, he had no choice but but to escape. So under a hail of mortar shell and gunfire, they crossed the Wiedendam Bridge. And at some point, Martin was killed. But accounts and his body were unconfirmed for decades. In 1963, a retired postal worker named Albert um, Krumnow, he told police that around the 8th of May 1945, the Soviets had ordered him and his colleagues to bury two bodies found near a railway, railway bridge near the Lerta station. One was dressed in a Wehrmacht uniform. Excavations on the 20th and 21st of July, 65, at the site failed to locate the bodies. But on the 7th of December, 1972, construction workers, they uncovered human remains near Lerter Station in West Berlin, which was about 12 meters from the spot where um, Krumnow had claimed he'd buried them. Under autopsy, Fragments of glass were found in the jaws of the remains, suggesting to scientists that they had bitten down on glass cyanide capsules. Dental records were dragged up, 
and then they matched them with Martin Borman. There was also damage to a collarbone, and Martin's sons confirmed that he had broken his collarbone before. Facial reconstruction and composites were taken, and those matched. And in 1998, with the advancement in genetic testing, they found that the DNA matched, and the conspiracy theories surrounding his disappearance were all put to rest. Once again, all the bunker conspiracy theories about who lived and who died and did Hitler survive. Fucking, they're all fucking cockanamy. Eyewitnesses didn't lie. It is weird, though, how these just conspiracy theories that just kept happening uh, for all the Nazis, but definitely around um, around Bormann. Even yeah. after they they found evidence, you know that that uh, that that he was dead, but still. They, he was tried in absentia by the International Military Tri- Tribunal in the Nuremberg trials. And so he was convicted of war crimes, even though obviously he didn't have a body. They couldn't prove that he was living or dead. But uh, he was convicted of war crimes and crimes against humanity and sentenced to death by hanging if they ever found him, you know, if they ever found him alive. But over the years, there was just a preponderance of all these conspiracy theories. Um, from a lot of different organizations, the like CIA, the West German government, all these, all these um, you know, departments and organizations attempted to locate Bormann, but without any success. And so even in 1964, the West German government offered a reward of 100,000 Deutschmarks for information leading to his capture. So people really didn't know whether Bormann you know, had, had managed to escape Germany. Yeah. Um, you know, or was he a Russian spy? And so, yeah, there were sightings of, of reported of Borman all over of the world, course. including Australia, Denmark, Italy, South America. Um, a Nazi intelligence officer, uh, Reinhard Galen, said that uh, Borman was a Soviet spy, and he went back to Moscow. Uh, Nazi hunter Simon uh, Weisenthal thought that Borman was living in South America, with, like all the other Nazis that, that escaped. Um, but the Western, the Western German government uh, finally declared that his hunt for Borman was over in 1973 after the excavation at Lurder Station. Because I think that kind of definitively proved with DNA evidence, this is Borman. Yeah, and good. What a death, though. Yeah. Martin Jr., he was 15. He fled Munich to try and reach his mother, who had escaped to the Italian South um, Tyrol region. Gerda Borman and the rest of her children had fled um, Ober Salzburg for Italy on the 25th of April, 1945. Gerda was eventually arrested and she was interrogated by the Allies. And while she was being interrogated, she like learned from them that she had uterine cancer and she passed away while in captivity without seeing her eldest son ever again. Martin actually read about his mother's death a year later after an article was published in a local newspaper. I read that it was uh, a local doctor found that she was in the advanced stages of ovarian cancer. Oh, I read uterine as well. I think back back then, back though, then, yeah. it was just, uh, you know, the womb was one terrible, terrifying thing to all male doctors, wasn't it? Well, they said one day a British army major turned up on her doorstep and she freaked out thinking he was going to take her to a concentration camp. Um, but instead, the major took her straight to an Italian hospital where she had this operation. But it was too late. And so she died March 23rd, 1946, a few months shy of her 37th birthday. Um, with all of her fanatical beliefs intact. Like, I don't Completely. think her mind was ever changed. <laughs> yeah. She never saw the errors of her ways. I can, I, of course not. Of course she didn't. As for their 10 children, they're all named after influential Nazis. Martin Adolf Bormann Jr., the eldest son, the most good-looking, 
does look like Josh Brolin. He's like so, he's one of those people who looks like so from the past, he looks modern now. Do you know what I mean? Well, he's got that get, hip kind of, well, I forget what they yeah. call that haircut, but that like hip kind of haircut where it's like short on the sides and. Like a Peaky Blind. He's just hip. Yeah, he like, like, a, a, like an actor out of Peaky Blinders. But he's good looking like his like his parents. They were both good looking. Okay, debatable. He's, if you find Curly from the Three Stooges good looking, then yes. Well, maybe. You would say maybe the parents I do. were good looking. What's I think wrong with do. Curly from the Three Stooges? Oh, he's maybe, just kind of a fat like guy. But I, I don't know. I mean, you said, you know, funny gets a fanny. He was a funny guy. He was. He was. <laughs> he, Martin Bowman Jr., he was nicknamed the Crown Prince, and as a teenager, he was an ardent young Nazi. He'd been brainwashed. After the war, he felt the burden of his father's sins, and he became a Roman Catholic priest. He rejected his middle name, Adolf, and he worked in the Congo as a missionary. There, he was abducted three times and almost killed. He believed that his suffering was God's punishment for his father's sins. Every day, I pray for the souls of the millions who died through the fault of my dad. Jews, Russians, Poles. Later, he fell in love with a nun. This is, I've seen this porno. She nursed him back to health after a near fatal accident in 1969. And together they left the church and they married in 1971, but they had no children together. He became a teacher of theology and retired in 1992. On the 16th of August, 1999, uh, Martin A. Bormann scattered his father's ashes over the Baltic Sea. Originally, he didn't want to have anything to do with it, but then he changed his mind. By 2001, he was touring German and Austrian schools, speaking about the horrors of the Nazis, including the Holocaust. And in 2011, he was accused of sexual abuse by several of his former students. The accusers were eventually awarded compensation by the church as Martin could not attend trial because he was stricken with dementia at this point in his life. Yeah, he was accused by a former pupil at an Austrian Catholic boarding school of having raped him as a 12-year-old when Borman was working there as a priest and a schoolmaster in the early 60s. Doesn't surprise I mean, me. He's a Roman Catholic. Yeah, Roman I was about to say, he's a Catholic priest. So isn't that just kind of what you do? Isn't that like a rite of passage? Um, other former pupils alleged uh, severe physical violence had been used against them and others. Once again, he's a Catholic priest at a school priest. for boys. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen? The son of a Nazi who probably yeah. had raised him that way too would not surprise me. You know, it's kind of like the, uh, the movie App Pupil. You ever seen that? Oh my god, I love Apt People. Oh, it's such a great movie. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. I haven't watched it in ages. Martin never publicly condemned his father, but he never denied um, his responsibility for his role in the Third Reich and the mass killings. Despite his belief that the death sentence was justified, Martin believed only God could judge his father, and he believed that the sins of the parents are not visited on their children. However, after saying that, the interviewer noted how Martin appeared haunted. I mean, it must, the, you can read about all the Nazi children, the ones who like went on, because a lot of them did kill themselves yeah. because they couldn't handle the burden of what their parents had done. Well, I think it's Little, also the guilt that they inherit. I mean, you even yeah. read a, you know, you, you read um, Mouse, the book Mouse by Art Spiegelman. Yeah. I mean, he talks about just like, Obviously, it's a completely different situation than being the son of a Nazi. He's the son of a survivor. But even then, it's so depressing to have to like even have lived a life like this. 
So even like a lot of the uh, the sons of the survivors, the children of the survivors had uh, mental health issues. It was a terrible, a terrible time. <laughs> That's my hot take. The, yeah, the Second World War was a terrible, terrible time. <laughs> it wasn't a good time for all the all involved. <laughs> I found it very hard to find out more information about the other bomb and children. If anybody can find articles, I would love to read them. But from what I could find out, six of them are still alive and they walk amongst us. Wow. That's interesting. Um, So old Clubfoot Goebbels and his wife Magda, um, (laughs) who is obsessed with Hitler, um, they had a bizarre relationship. But I think that's going to be a topic of a future overkill. Yeah, we'll save Um, that for the patron. And people, check out the book, Nazi Wives, The Women at the Top of Hitler's Germany uh, by James Wiley. Um, Definitely got a lot of information from that for this. Um, I'm just wondering if any of these Nazi leaders had any mistresses or illegitimate love children in Cologne. We're going to have to find that out. There's a lot of dark tourism in Cologne. You know, if you go to that website, Dark Tourism... And you just t- you click because you can learn you can you know search by country yeah. click Germany it's like pages and pages and pages of things to see, uh, but Cologne has uh, several um, several places there to go check out. So well, it got bombed to shit. I mean, it basically got bombed off the uh, the map, didn't it? Yeah, the only thing that really was survived was the cathedral, which is amazing. It's a huge cathedral too, and yeah, uh, I think our hotel is shit. like right across the street from it. So we're gonna definitely go check that out. Um, Anyway, people, this is episode 840 here of Sick and Wrong. We got some phone calls coming up next. Uh, you can call the Sick and Wrong hotline at 323-522-4032. But first, uh, here's a quick message from our sponsor. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. This is Trucker Paul. I got to tell you about this wonderful porno place where you can buy jack-off machines, dildos, inflatable wives, I bought them all. When I go home, I like to diddle my wife with a, a little dildo. When I'm on the road, I got my second wife, my blow-up doll, and my jack-off sleeve. Go to adamandeve.com. Type in the word diddle, D-I-D-D-L-E, and you'll get 50% off all your masturbation machines. How do y'all flick my balls? I put a spell on you. So we got a few phone calls here to get to. Uh, 323-522-4032. Stuart actually called in with an answer to a question I had on the second show a couple weeks ago. So, Hi guys, Stuart here. Just uh, listening to the newest uh, second show. And you were talking about the TLC Tugger guy and were questioning what episode that might have been and when that was. So so we were talking about um, this new show uh, that I like, How To with uh, was it John Wilson, is that his name? Yeah, I was just watching that before. Oh my God, it's such a great, it's such a great HBO show. Uh, thank you, uh, Jojo Kelly, for pointing that Jojo. one out. Jojo. Yeah. Most, jo- Jojo's got a pretty good uh, opinion on uh, a taste in movies and music and all that. Jojo so. recommends good stuff. Yeah, when he suggests something, I'll usually go check it out because there's like a 98% chance I'll like it. 
Um, yeah. I think the only the only thing we bet we differ on is Billy Joel, and I think that's geographical because when you when you grow up in New York City, I think you kind of have to like Billy Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen, but when you don't, you can you know look at them more objectively. I disagree that he likes Kirby enthusiasm as well. I disagree with that. I I don't mind that show, although it's it's it. I couldn't really, get into it. I haven't been able. I don't know if I could watch the eight seasons of it, but uh, I do love that <laughs> no. clip we played at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, this how-to with John Wilson, great show. I know I plugged the shit out of it on second show, but it's, it's this guy. is It's a docu-series. He goes around documenting. Um, usually it's about like one central issue, and then it kind of like blossoms spirals. from there yeah spirals from there into uh, other situations and so he randomly meets this guy who's a foreskin um intactivist and this guy recommends the tlc tugger dude and people who have listened to this show for a long time will remember that i interviewed that guy and he's still doing it he's still making manufacturing the tlc tuggers and he's like writing music now about growing your foreskin back. And so John Wilson in the, in the how to, um, I think it's like, was it how to cover your chairs in plastic or something? I that was the episode, the pl- yeah, episode the three. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, I was watching it. And I'm like, Oh my God, the TLC Tugger guy. And then I said on second show, what episode would that have been in? Cause I, I'm not going to go back through all the archives, try to figure that out. But Stuart did bless him. Oh, yeah. Just recently, because I'm going through the back catalogue, as I always do. <laughs> no, just recently I came past through this episode and it was actually episode 141 on the 25th of September 2008. Sleazy. Episode 141. God, that was oh, in 2008. You were just a little spring chicken Jew back then. The show had only been around for like a couple of years at that point. You, you probably were just full of piss and vinegar and full of the joys of spring. And Life. optimism at yeah, that age. Yeah. The weight of the world hadn't crushed my shoulders yet. A handsome young man. <laughs> Guest hosting and the legendary Rabbi Bob was on there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, that now I remember. Now I remember. Episode 141 was a point counterpoint. And we were talking about circumcision. The point was a TLC Tugger guy. Who and and sleazy E, who's uncircumcised, was talking about how like it's barbaric to circumcise someone. You should you know keep your foreskin. And then the counterpoint was my father, who was very pro circumcision, saying it Obviously. was a covenant with God. But it was a funny episode, people. If you have the archives, or if you have any of these saved, I might actually try to find that and listen to it because it's hilarious. I remember talking to my dad and bringing up the. Uh, it sounds like an anti-Semitic myth, but there's always a story of like the Hasidic rabbi sucking out the blood out of the freshly circumcised cocks of the the of the uh, the infant. Is that the? I thought that was the the Moyles did. I don't know if it's a it's a Hasidic whatever. Maybe it's the Moyle. I don't know. Whoever does it, there's someone that that does that, and like a baby died from herpes. And <laughs> I think that's how it got out. And I, I remember like reading about it and doing some research. And it is. It's like a uh, it's a ritual in the Hasidic um, sect of Judaism called Mitzitza Bipeh, and they they do it. I don't think it's I don't. It's obviously not a widespread act, and I don't. I mean, it's. The Hasids are kind of just like, I mean, they're like, it's like a cult. I mean, they're just, yeah. you know, they're kind of insane. Um, 
Anyway, I asked my father about it, the rabbi, and I was like, yeah, so what about like uh, the Hasidic Jews who like suck the blood out of the, uh, the freshly circumcised penis? And he's like, oh, I don't know about that. Never heard of that. I don't have no idea. You've and, uh, heard of that, rabbi. Well, I was just like, really? Have you ever heard of Mitzisa Bepe? And he was just like, and I brought it up, and he's like, oh, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> It's a, it's a very, very rare practice that, uh, that only uh, certain, you know, uh, you know, sections within the Hasidic community do. It's not very widespread. Not many people do it. Uh, it's blowing out of proportion. It's anti-Semitic. It's like, okay, so it exists, though. Yes. <laughs> I remember I, like, caught him in a lie. It was amazing. What anyway. do you think your dad would have made of this show? We were talking about the, the banging Nazis. He, you know... My father, I don't think, always understood some of the things, the various pursuits that I got into. I remember at the strip club, he used to think it was, he's like, oh, the how's the disco? And I was like, well, it's, it's a strip club where girls get naked. Yes. I just don't think he processed it. And so the podcast, you know, when I explained to him, to him the podcast, he's like, oh, it's very cute. Yes. <laughs> and David's having fun doing something cute. I don't think he got it, and but he came on the show and it was it was cool. He even did a promo. Um, but anyway, Stuart, thanks for uh, for doing the research, listening to back catalogs. Yes, you know, man. we had a, several people actually this week bought some of the archive episodes, and people when you do buy the archives off of uh, the website, sometimes the links are kind of fucked up because they're old Google Drive links, and I think they expire after a while. If you have any problem downloading the links, just email me, cigaronpodcastgmail.com. I'll uh, send you the new links for the episodes because you have to listen to them. You have to. After I've, I've just, I'm just binging another podcast at the minute, um, Daily Defense. It's all about the son of the detective who, of son of the lawyer who interviewed and represented John Wayne Gacy. And it's all these unheard of tapes. So I'm binging that. And then after that, I'm going to listen to the archives and it's going to be really funny. You know, I've heard that new documentary on John Wayne Gacy is pretty good. I will not be watching it. We all know how I feel about these Netflix documentaries. Yeah. Deadbook made an amazing John Wayne, doc, uh, John Wayne Gacy documentary good, about yeah. a year ago. So everyone just watched Deadbook instead. He fucking rocks. Netflix I gotta say, I, I enjoyed the Jimmy Savile documentary that I watched today. <laughs> I, I did. You know, I had no idea that guy was such a huge celebrity. I thought he yeah, was just like weird. a children's television show host. But he fucking hung out with the Beatles. He hung out with the Queen. Everyone. He was a DJ. It's crazy. Crazy. Anyway, um, next call we have here is from an old friend of mine who recently started listening to the show. I don't know if she did in the past or if she just finally like came around and been like, oh, this podcast has been on for 16 years by a guy I've known for a long time. Maybe I'll check it out. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, she called in with a story. Hi, Jim Kate. This is Cody from San Francisco, one of Dave's old friends. Hi. I just Cody. wanted to call and say how much I've been enjoying the show. I'm a longtime listener on oh. now, but been listening a lot more recently. I probably knew Cody right around I, when I started doing the show. So right. she's probably listened to like some of the early episodes. Um, and then, you know, I've been, this show's been going on for so long. <laughs> It's one of those things you can pick up and you don't really miss anything, you know? And um, I love the dynamic between you and Kate. It's so 
so charming and funny and disgusting oh. and cracks me up and I love it. And now my husband's listening and I wanted to say that so we'll be signing up on the Patreon. Oh, thank you. And a little anecdote. Um, I think a little couple stories back, Kate had asked for love stories. I don't really have a love story to be happily married, but I will say this ties in with you guys. When my husband, before he became my husband, was introducing me to his friends when we first started getting together, he was like, I have this great friend and you know, I can't wait for you to meet him. And we met in college and he's talking so much about him. Anyway, we go to meet him and his last name, I won't give his first name, but his last name is Schoenfeld. Ring a bell? Yeah. Wait, his last name is Schoenfeld? Schoenfeld, yeah. Hmm. It's not ringing a bell. Uh. Yeah, I'm not sure. I wonder if it's someone I know. Um, his uncle were the Chowchilla kidnappers. So oh, shit. Oh, shit. All right, all right. That Sean felt. Oh, my God. That's fucking crazy. Oh, my God. Oh, I mean, why can't I, get... I have cool people like that in my family? For well, it makes sake. sense. Yeah, but it makes sense. Um, you know, Cody is from the Bay Area, born and raised yeah. up there. And so I imagine her husband must be from that area, too. So, you know, you meet somebody, you meet people who are born and raised in the Bay Area, especially like in, uh, you know, the North Bay. Chances are you might be related to someone who, uh, you know, is in the Grateful Dead or, Ugh. you know, murder, you know, uh, kidnapped a bunch of kids and tried to bury them alive. You know, it can happen. If that was my uncle, I would, every time I met up with him, I'd be like, tell me the story. Tell me the story again. <laughs> I've got to know the story. Tell me it. Come on. Beat that, Dave. I'd like, to find, like you to find a cooler friend to introduce to Kate. Um... <laughs> Also, your caller last time put out a challenge for a gory injury story. Well, I've seen a a bad injury, but I've... Unfortunately, um, but in more of like a controlled setting. I've seen some stuff, but... I've never seen like a terrible injury. I haven't had a terrible injury, thank goodness. But what I, when he was talking about his foot in the bag full of blood and how the people he was with were vomiting, I'd never heard that before except one other time. My friend who told me that her doctor vomited, and I was like, that has never happened. Like, doctors are supposed to be, what? You know, have thick skin towards this kind of stuff. Well, anyway. Yeah, they should have like a steel gut. I mean, a, could you imagine a doctor taking a look at your wound and then barfing? It's like a Steve Martin joke, isn't it? Where he would write a character where it's a doctor who's afraid of blood. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, it's like maybe you're in the wrong line of work there, buddy. Well, it must have been so disgusting, though, that I don't know. Maybe the guy's spine was exposed. And if you're not a surgeon, you're not going to see that type of stuff as often. I mean, I guess it depends maybe with the type of doctor that you are. But you'd think after going through medical school and doing all this and practicing for years, it'd have to take a lot for you to, you know, for your stomach to turn. Dude could have just had a wicked hangover, man. Doctors yeah, party. That's a, that's a thing. Prescription cocaine, these doctors. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you her story really quick. 
she was going to the American University of Paris and Ooh la la. Um, had this horrible stench and pain. Um, her vagina was just reeking and she had pelvic pain. So she went to the doctor and she's like, my pussy be stinking. Stinking. Did she say her <laughs> vagina was leaking or reeking? Reeking. Her vagina was reeking. reeking. Okay. Just, I yeah. was like, and she was having horrible. My pains. God. If your vagina is leaking anything except like pussy juice or like pussy blood, you fucking get yourself to the hospital. <laughs> Um, her doctor gave her an exam, and during the pelvic exam... Ooh, cliffhanger. There's a part two. Oh. So during the <laughs> pelvic exam... I am so invested in this. Sorry, the machine cut me off. I'll, ke- I'll keep this brief. But anyway, my friend, she she's getting pelvic exam by the doctor, complaining of, you know, the potential of pain. And the doctor pulls out a, like, very old used tampon that had been jammed up inside of her by her boyfriend when they were having unprotected sex. So it was like a... Uh, you know, this does. This is actually somewhat common. Yeah, well, I told the story about, remember, when I went to the hospital. Cause yeah, I but I thought that was like that someone's dude. wedding ring that was like up there. No, it wasn't a wedding ring. Oh. I couldn't remember <laughs> if I'd taken... I told this story in the Patreon, but I couldn't remember if I'd taken the tampon out because I was obviously wasted shagging this guy and the next day I got so paranoid because I couldn't find the tampon anywhere it wasn't anywhere it wasn't in the bin and I never flush them down the toilet I'm not an idiot so I went made my friend uh Marsha go with like me go in there and read look on the way there yeah oh. and then the doctor came in and like looked at my pussy and she was like there's nothing in there but she did tell me the story about this. Me- she used the term mental woman as well. Um, this is like 15 years ago when you're allowed to call people mental and no one got upset by it. This mental woman used to come into the hospital constantly and she would shove anything up herself. And she came in once with 32 tampons inside of her. Jesus Christ, that's got to be a record. Yeah, but she would. She said she did everything, like spoons, um, cig- I think cigarette lighters was, was she a thing. carnival worker? Like, why? She's just mental, mate. Oh, okay. <laughs> just trying to break a personal like, record. Here she is again. She's like a Russian doll. What she got inside her? Let's God, I want to follow her on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's more likely to be on Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the 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 reference I made, my pussy be saken, is uh, when I was in college, you know, one of our roommates was, um, he was like, was that your resident or whatever? He was a resident at an at a emergency room in uh, Detroit. And so, yeah, this woman, I, I've told this story on the podcast, but um, I'll repeat it. And on the patron, too. Yeah, but this woman came in one night, and it was around like two in the morning, and she's just like this older black lady, and she was just like, my pussy be stinking. Stankin, and like they (laughs) put her in the back room, and you know went in there and uh, pulled out like I don't know, it was like a six month old tampon. It was all (laughs) wadded together with like another tampon, and the the smell was so bad and so corrosive that the whole the entire place smelled like rotten pussy, like the whole fucking emergency room. Maybe that was wrong with Stinkar. There's a tampon shoved up there. My pussy be stankin', bitch. Maybe it was Joe Kelly's fault. I'm blaming Joe Joe. During old bloody tampon mixed with 
cum that had been <laughs> marinating inside of her for God knows how long. So the doctor pulls it out. She immediately in the trash can and calls my friend a dirty whore in French. Runs. <laughs> wow, that's a very opinionated doctor. Very judgmental. Out of the exam room. My friend has to get dressed. She's mortified, horrified, doesn't even know what to do. Walks out of the clinic. The doctor's in front smoking a cigarette and just cursing at her. And then she calls me crying, poor thing. Um, so that was That's my a good friend. only other time I heard of anyone physician vomiting from their condition so yeah but that's a french physician you know oh right well, that's it what i'm saying bad. i don't know if like an english doctor or an american doctor would have the same response i think the french uh the frenchy doctor was being extra harsh because it wasn't a french woman and it was just like an american whore it wasn't a french whore it's an american whore which he finds way more disgusting how do you say whore in French? I, 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 Le whore. <laughs> Le whore. And then she just barfs in a garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> I got called a whore in France once. It was brilliant. Le whore. <laughs> Le whore. Le. <laughs> anyway, um, congratulations on your marriage. And we're really enjoying the show. And keep it thick, keep it wrong. And goodbye from San Francisco. Awesome. Thank you, Cody. Um, it's good to hear from you. I hope uh, uh, Mello, that's the name of her husband. Cool name. And uh, I'm trying to think Does of another really kid. Mello? Yeah, his, his first name is Mello. That's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, that's very Californian. Cool you can have a too. British Northern British book called Mello. I think their kid's name is like Cash or something. Like a pretty oh, cool, awesome. cool kid name too. Yeah. Anyway, I hope Cody. your family's doing well, Cody. Yeah, and I want her to ring in uh, the most embarrassing story about you that she can remember. About me? Yeah. I'm sure there's many. Yeah. I, 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 re I recall a story about Cody, though, that I remember being like quite impressed with. Um, we were at a restaurant. It, it was like, so I, I dated one of Cody's friends. And so uh, her, her friend, we, we had a party at this restaurant. Cody will know what I'm talking about. And uh, it was like a, I think it was a party for her graduating from college or something, or maybe a birthday party. But Cody has a very unique talent, which I think is yeah. unique. But uh, according to Kate, every woman could do this. But Cody can queef on command. Yeah, we can, we can all do it. You, you're, so, so, Kate, you're saying that every woman has ability to queef on command. If you have good pelvic floor muscles, you freaking can. But... I have to be in a certain position to do it. Some women, maybe Cody is like next level diamond level pussy and she can just like queef standing up. That's amazing if you can do I that. I think from what I heard, because I wasn't actually, I didn't actually see it, but she like took a bunch of girls to the bathroom and just performed her uh, skill. It's almost That's like her cool. X-Men ability. Um, and she's, and everyone was laughing and they were totally impressed by it. So, and I, and I found out about it and I was impressed by it. I'm not sure if she just like lifts up a leg and just shoots out a queef. I'm not sure if that's how it, how it's done. I don't know her technique, but <laughs> how come you've been hiding this from me? 
just because I don't know, it's not something where I'm like, do you want to see my queef? Yeah, but if you could do it on command, of course I'd want to see this. Well, the next time I see you, I'll queef. When we go to Cologne, when we go to Cologne, we oh, the first there'll thing... be some queefing. Some queefing <laughs> well, in Cologne. I'm just very curious to see if you could actually do this. Can I, I record can. it I mean, for uh, can... for the Patreon? <laughs> We're right, we'll do a special <laughs> queef level on the Patreon. <laughs> But you're okay. So you're saying that every woman can do this. All right. Maybe not every woman, but if you've got great pelvic floor muscles, you can do it. I can do it. I've have to, I have to be on all fours to do it. So, but you got to be on like all fours as if you're about to like, do a push up or something. Uh, no, like a doggy style. Like, I'm oh, like doggy style. So you're like in doggy dog. style. Yeah. And then I can just do that. And do I can you lift do it, up like, a leg or do you just shoot it out? <laughs> just shoot it out <laughs> i could probably like start doing gymnasts uh, gymnastic stuff and like <laughs> sticking a leg out or an arm i've never like thought to do that because i'm an mm. innocent girl can you change the omniture like what do you mean what's uh, that's a very fancy word I, i'm not no, sure like the kind of the tone i guess of the queef um yeah i suppose you can because you can take you can suck in more air to push out can you do a very long, protracted queef? Well, yeah, because you just suck in more air for your pussy. Could you do like the first few notes of like Miles Davis's "Bitches Brew"? <laughs> I'm, I'm never gonna try to sing a song. Or John with my Coltrane's queef. "A Love Supreme." That's what I hear the beginning of it. Oh my god! D, if I did that on OnlyFans, I could probably quit my job, and I could probably quit this podcast, and I'd be raking in like fifty grand a month. I'm just thinking of ways we can promote the show. It's taking off and go viral, you know. Well, remember when I said I was going to push all the um, the dreidels out my pussy, and we were going to promote the show that yeah, way? Yeah, and I tried, and you never that never happened. Okay, we could I combine tried. the two, and I could queef out, and then every time I queef, I spit a dreidel out. But could you do like uh, you know the song from Fiddler in the Roof? If I were a rich man, yada yada. No 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 no. And out comes oh. a cradle spinning. <laughs> oh, it'd be amazing if I could put the spin on it. You yeah, know, somebody cool. sent me a message recently where they said I was tasteless, and now I'm kind of thinking, yeah, maybe I am a bit tasteless. I have no <laughs> idea what that person's talking about. Anyway, Cody, it's good for, good to hear from you. Yeah, and thanks I for calling it, Cody. in. Thanks for joining the patron, too. And I'm still impressed by your skill. Believe me. It's a very impressive <laughs> skill. And I want to find out if other female listeners can do this. Because it's news to me that every girl can do it. You know, I've often said queefing. Because when, when you're having sex with a girl and she queefs, I've always thought it's, it's like... It's funny. The, I always thought it was like the clown nose of sex. It's just kind of a funny moment. You know, you in this like serious act when you're like into it and you're serious and you're making love and all of a sudden it's like a fart noise comes out. It's like, a clown, it's like squeezing love. a clown nose. No, you know what I'm saying? It's like you, your mind's got to be into it, and you're like, you're not laughing the whole time. You know, oh, yeah, but then a queef happens, and it lightens the mood. It little, lightens like the that mood, exactly. Second. It's the clown nose of sex. Um, people call Sick Wrong Hotline, 323-522-4032. Um, I know we've promoted the, sec- the, the, the Sick and Wrong Second Show a few times, but uh, check it out. Uh, we actually do a, a second show, a complete second show on Patreon every week. It's only five bucks a month, which isn't much. Um, less, than, less than the cost of what? A pint, right? Two pints? Yeah, mate. Well, two pints if you're maybe in the north in, in a spoons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably about l- the, yeah, you're probably getting a Yeah, a pint of spoons is what? Like three quid? 
Depending where you're at, yeah. Yeah, depending where you're at. Anyway, five bucks a month, you get access to the Sick and Wrong Second Show. And this week, we discussed in graphic detail with audio clips the events of the Johnny Depp and Amber Turd trial. And I got wasted. And yeah, Kate was loaded. And you'd be quite surprised whose side Kate Rambo is on. Spoiler, she's on the side of Amber Heard's turd. <laughs> and that's not even a real side. It's not even a real side. You know, the, but it was like, I'm like, okay, I, I guess you could pick a side, but that's not a real side. Anyway. Give me the turd. <laughs> she's like, I only believe the turd. I want to hear the turd's events. Put the turd on the stand. recollection of events. (laughs) But no, we we, we go into detail. We play a lot of clips. And um, yeah, that's the Sick and Wrong Second Show. Format of Sick and Wrong Second Show is a bit different. It's a little more free. It's a lot more free form. Free form radio. You know, it's it's a lot less professional. Um, But anyway, it's only five bucks a month. Check it out. And for a few dollars more, you get access to Sick and Wrong Overkill, which is the uh, Sick and Wrong mini-sode. And this week, Kate actually did a bit that I came up with during the Wackily years that we never did. We never did. Did you? Did you get my? I sent you the uh, theme music I made that was never played. I have the theme music. So no one's actually ever heard that other than me and you. It's been stuck in my head all night since. Yeah, it's a bit that I came up with. I wanted to do with Wackily, but Wackily said it was stupid. this is probably in like 2008 or something. It was called Worse Than Hitler. And I made this music. What's the song from? The Barbie Girl, right? Yeah, it's Barbie Girl. But, but it's, it's in like German. sung by like a German man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Kate actually did Worse Than Hitler about, um, about Jim Morrison. Uh, she's proving that Jim Morrison is worse than Hitler. Um, I disagree. However, you, I haven't listened to the episode. You will listen to this. And you, at the end of it, you'll be like, do you know what? Jim Morrison fucking sucked. Well, that's that's your opinion. I happen to like the old git. Just, um, just you wait. Anyway, check it out. Worse than Hitler, which has never been done before. So Kate actually broke ground doing that this week on Sick and Wrong <laughs> Overkill. People, we do appreciate you supporting the show. We work really hard to do this every week. And so when you give us a couple quids... Give us a couple bucks. It does help keep the show going. We do appreciate it. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today. Also, if you want to get some sick and wrong merch, I did add a couple new t-shirt designs uh, to the sick and wrong tea public store. There's now a stink shirt, uh, which I designed myself. Uh, it, it's very professional, very, very brilliant. Um, See, the girls have been asking, we want the bish t-shirt. All right, I'm going to have to make that. I might work on that tonight, actually. I'll, I'll work on making the Bish shirt. Yeah, I have an, I have an idea. I have an idea of how that will look. So I might make a Bish shirt. Should it be just B-I-S-H or should it be like B-I-S-S-S-H-H-H-H? Like, like a long Bish. Do whatever works best. All right, I'm going to have to figure that out stylistically. Anyway, go to the T Public Store, sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop and click on the picture of the Pope. Buy yourself some some merch. Uh, finally, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. You know, it just seems like every cool musician is dying this year. It's one of those years. Sucks. I know. Um, I was gutted to hear that uh, Chris Bailey, uh, lead singer of a legendary Australian punk band, uh, The Saints, uh, died um, just a couple weeks ago, April 9th, um, 2022, at the age of 65. I got to say, The Saints are one of my favorite bands. One of Kate's favorite bands. Yeah, I love The Saints. There would be... 
like no uh, Nick Cave of All the Saints. I mean, they, they inspired so many. Just a legendary, I don't even know if it was punk, but a rock band from the 70s. I mean, I, I guess they're punk. They're just Australia. There's so many good bands from Australia, and the Saints are just like in the top like five of them. They're Definitely in the amazing. top tier. Um, the Saints were in the, uh, the were the core, I'd say, of the Australian punk scene in the 70s. You know, police attended the band's Brisbane shows and arrested the musicians. You know, because they were so volatile. Like they're, I mean, they kind of blew minds at the time. No, no one sounded like the Saints. There were, there are a few bands, you know, of that time that came a little later, you know, with the Australian punk scene. But yeah, the Saints, you know, were highly influential, and were doing something that in Australia that no other bands were doing at the time. Um, I'm Stranded, their first record is regarded, and, and, the, and one of their, their first singles, regarded as one of the most influential punk songs of all time. You might have heard that one. It's fucking um, brilliant. You know, even uh, NXS frontman Michael Hutchins credited the band for creating the sound that led to the rise of the Sex Pistols. Yeah, I would go with that. You know? You I, know who it all came from. It came from Ron fucking Ash. Yeah, well, Ron Ashton and um, I'm blanking on his name right now. Who's the dude that uh, was in Radio Birdman? Dennis Tech. Dennis Tech, yeah. Iceman, on the same... as an aside, Iceman in um, Top Gun is based on, ten- on Dennis Tech. Yeah, which is around like the same time as, uh, as, uh, as the Saints. But anyway, we're going to end the show here with uh, one of my favorite Saints records. It's the Eternally Yours. It's their second my album. My favorite. Which yeah, is amazing. And a song uh, called Lost and Found off of that record. Rest in power, Chris Bailey. And people definitely check out the Saints. They're, they're a rock band that shouldn't be missed. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode 841. Till then, take a sleazy. <laughs>
What are you drawing? Oh, I'm just doodling. That's a Hitler mustache. That's Hitler hair. What's a Hitler? Oh, <laughs> Hitler was a bad man. A bad man? Very bad man. Oh, my God. Yes, he started a war. He, oh. he, didn't, he didn't really care for Jews. He thought they were a bit much. Oh, I would kick his butt. Would you? Yes. Good for you.